Hey, good morning, East Bay Calvary. Well, you folks sound pretty good singing. Love hearing you. Man, what a praise. Um, we've got a little different Sunday, which makes this a very usual Sunday for us. We change things up a little bit from time to time. First of all, before we do anything, a very happy 23rd wedding anniversary to my wife for putting up with me. <clears throat> but they say behind every good man is a great woman and a surprise mother-in-law. And that's the story of my life, folks. Um, you did see, hopefully you did. If you didn't, make sure you see it on the way out. <clears throat> That dresser that is out there, that is, a, that is what we are purchasing. We have three purchased, and there is just one more left. We, we got a top-grade, high-quality, large dresser because we want to tell people we are 100% behind them when they choose life. We are pro-mom, we are pro-baby, and we want to encourage moms that choose life. With these, we're going to stuff them to the max, and we'll share how all that's going to happen next week. So be with us for that. We also want to sign the back of them, and that way people know we're behind them that way. So that'll all be out there. Um, we just need one more, one more person to jump behind this or a small group to jump behind it, and we will go from there. Uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of other things that you see in your worship folder, but what we want to do right now is um, connect with our missionaries that are here this morning, and uh, Jerry and Andrea, as well as um, Alex and Katie. You know, I know it may not be convenient, and right now it's just the two guys who are going to do a Q&A, but would you all just come up and um, just for a second, that way our church family can get to see you, and um, I know that you were here in the first hour. There's a number of people who uh, were not. I can come down with you. How's that sound? That'll make life easier on, on everyone. We are... Um, we're excited that we have folks in missions that were also from our church. Oftentimes you end up supporting people that you don't have a lot of background with. Well, that's not the case here. And these are folks that uh, we've known and uh, fed into and partnered with for many years. And it's great when you have your very own that get to go out and, uh, and do missions work. And you guys were near my home place of Syracuse, New York, for a while. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, like, like me, God got you out of there, didn't he? <clears throat> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> That's our story of salvation right there, folks. Um, and obviously, uh, Jerry, you guys are not too far down the road and being local uh, here for us. But we celebrate the reality of how God is using you and what he's doing. So let's give them a hand. And Jerry and Alex, come on up with me if you would. We'll do some Q&A together. <clears throat> You're bringing your wife. Even better. Even better. I would do the same thing, truthfully, if I were you. <laughs> hey, something special um, about today is, you know, we love kids, and we're concerned about the next generation. There is a succession plan that we are doing. And, I, and we need to realize everything we do is built on something else. I am the beneficiary of Pastor Dennis's 45 years of ministry. Okay, I, I didn't start from square one, and praise God I didn't. There's a foundation that's there. And here we go. That is going to be important that we get that thing. <laughs> okay, here we go. Five-second rule, 
is oh, in yeah, effect. There we go. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, we build on something. We didn't just start out of nowhere, and I'm the beneficiary of Pastor Dennis and his ministry for 45 years and his partnership here, that we have something to start with and continue to grow on. And, um, but, you know, we're always handing it over, and none of us are immortal. We need to hand the ministry over, and that's why we are uh, embedded and concerned and loving the next generation. Boy, this is going to be a fun. <laughs> this is going to be fun time. I know. Yeah, I know. So um, we wanted to connect with these folks because these guys are connected and thinking about the next generation, what's coming up. And so uh, what we want to do, if you have a question for them, uh, Jerry and his crew are dealing more with teen ministry locally, and you folks are dealing more with college age ministry and if you have a question that you want to ask them, we're going to have an opportunity for text message questions, okay? So if something comes to mind and you want to ask them a question about their ministry, about the next generation, um, anything like that, go ahead and text it to this number, 231-492-5673. And we would love to hear from you uh, if you have any questions. Before we get to those, let's talk just for a few moments, and I don't even know who would want to go first, but we'll go for it. I have a few questions for you guys. And why next-gen ministries? You could do so many different things. You could be involved in church planning or other areas of ministry. Why focus on youth? Why focus on the next generation? Go I'll start. Yeah. Um, I, I have a big burden for teenagers. Uh, it's in those teenage years where we make a lot of decisions that shape our future. Um, not that the younger years don't matter, don't hear that, but the teenage years is really when we start deciding who am I going to be, what am I going to do, and my passion is that through those decisions, they can be filtered through a grid of scripture and prayer and asking God, what would you have me to do, how can I serve you best, and so to be involved in teenagers' lives and able to be there for them when they're making those decisions, helping them in that is a big passion for me, so that's why. Cool. Alex? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> couldn't have said it better. Uh, it's that moment of decision for me when I was a college student. Um, all those decisions were, I had just become a Christian right before going to college, so I remember all the, making all those decisions and uh, noticing um, also that the college students are just so open to talking about spiritual things, but there's not really a venue for it in their lives. You know, most college students don't know the Lord, uh, but they're eager to talk about it. And so Katie made the joke about next-gen missions um, earlier this week, that when we joined, it was our generation. <laughs> we started doing this work, and so that was part of it, too. We'd seen the effect it had in our life, and we wanted to pass it on uh, to our peers. So you're moving into question number two, like, what, what influenced you for this? Um, you know, what's behind all of it? What helped you choose next-gen missions and ministry for yourself? Oh, yeah, good question. I mean, like I said, it had a huge impact on my life. I grew in the Lord a ton in college because there were just other guys who were walking with the Lord, and for the first time in my life, really, I could see my peers, my friends, in a real relationship with God. Uh, and it, it changed the way I viewed everything. Uh, they had life that I didn't have, and so um, that's how I got involved with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah. So seventh grade, eighth grade year, uh, being here at part of East Bay Calvary and really understanding that my peers had a love that I didn't find anywhere else and wondered why. And why is it that you're so loving and caring and compassionate and that you're real? And I wanted that. 
And so through that time in my life is when I came to really know Christ and decided to follow him as my Savior and Lord. So you know, um, your situation, Jerry, is unique. And, and this is where we're all understanding things are today, folks. 70%, right around 70% of all young people that come up in the church end up stepping away from the faith. Those are hard. When we talk about succession and handing the faith over to the next generation, we realize that the church in general across America has a horrible succession plan when 70% leave. So when you understand that um, this is loaded, but the neat thing is your answer puts you in the hot seat and not me. (laughs) Why are they leaving? I mean, be honest. Why do young people leave the church today? Uh, from my observations of the students we work with, a lot is connectedness. Um, they'll go to a church and participate, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but for the ones that are going to church, they'll go and they'll be there and they'll be invested, but it's the relationships that aren't there. And so when they leave and they go somewhere else too, there's no relationship bringing them back to a church. There's nowhere to connect. And it was the same struggle I had when I left and went off to college finding a church to connect and going to a place and saying, okay, where can I start investing? Where can I start connecting with people and building into that body? And it's the same struggle that students have as they leave Crossroads Farm and go to another place that they're like, oh, I have no idea where to even start. And so kind of in a sense holding their hand and saying, go to church this Sunday, find one. Next week, find another one uh, for a semester. Find some churches, but go every week. And then at the end of that semester, start finding one that you can start going to. Mm-hmm. But having somebody invest in their life to keep pushing them forward to be finding a place to invest in yeah. is kind of the key. So connectedness is one thing that you see as really significant. What do you see, folks, mm-hmm. see as a reason why young people leave the church? Why after through high school and college, yeah. and that's it. What, what are you finding? Good question. No. Um, <laughs> okay. Hold um, on, we got to figure out mic. Yeah, here, could you hold Fiona while I Of course. There you go. Okay. Um, thanks. One thing that we've, um, we've observed, I guess, um, is that there are a lot, of, a lot of young people who've grown up going to church that when they show up at college, they may or may not come check out crew, but, but those that we meet, a lot of them aren't believers yet. Like, um, and I can, you know, say this from my own story. I grew up going to church every Sunday. My parents were very faithful um, Christians, and somehow I missed the gospel before I got to college. Um, and so I think that is a big percentage of, uh, of it. it, is not just that students are disillusioned by church, but they've never, like, their heart is not captured by the gospel. Okay. They don't love Jesus like that. Okay. So it's not as big of a deal to them. Like, when I went to college, my, I'm, I'm so grateful that God had a totally different plan for my first year there. But my plan for myself was, like, I'm fine. I thought I was going to heaven because I, I wasn't something else. So I probably was a Christian, you know, like, since I'd gone to church all those years. Um, but I had no desire to ever pursue anything spiritual. That was my big plan of rebellion against my folks was like, I will never do this again. Um, (laughs) And obviously that was a lot of years ago. Um, I'm not the same as an 18-year-old now, but 
I think that's kind of true that like my heart had not been captured by the beauty of the gospel or um, love for Christ. I didn't understand that God even wanted to have a personal relationship with me. I really thought it was just about following rules and being a good person. And I thought I could do that apart from knowing Christ like apart from being involved in a church community. So I think that that's a lot of times the disconnect for students is they they just don't have their heart captured by Christ. So why would they come and sit here and listen to a lecture when they do that for all these classes in college every day, you know, like or and I think what Jerry said about the connectedness is another another big one um when college students are leaving the church, you know, that they went to a for high school, say, um, often they show up if they if they come to a church at all, right? Which they probably won't, but if they do, um, they're kind of like corralled into this little area by themselves with each other, and they don't really meet all y'all, you know? Like they don't meet the the body of believers. They don't have any relationships with people um, outside of the group of people who are their peers. Um, so they kind of just follow this little herd of people around, and if those people stop coming, they stop coming. Um, so I think that that's another another disconnect, yeah. is that they don't have that connectedness to the body. Um, they don't know anyone outside their own generation who goes to the church. Interesting. So there's a connectedness not just with friends, but with, as you right. say, all y'all. I love that we don't. I'm get not from the. I mean, oh. I'm from the south part of Michigan, but I'm not from the south. <laughs> Close enough for us, people. We'll take it. So all y'all. Um, but then an interconnectedness, like they may know how to go through the rituals or to do church, mm-hmm. but to internally really be connected to Jesus and to love the gospel and to yeah. realize that they are God's child, for it to be a personal thing, yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, and youth group, like my church didn't have a youth group, so like I can't say from my own experience about that. Um, I've heard wonderful things about this church and their ministry to youth, so like I'm not knocking you at all. But youth group can produce really good fakers, you know? And these are really smart young people, so they, I mean, they get a lot of things. They know mm-hmm. how to perform. That's their students, so they have tests and stuff, so they, they know what people are looking for, so it's really hard to tell without having deep personal conversations where somebody is at spiritually. Are you finding that too? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I'll do the short answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why I'm standing between you folks now. <laughs> hey, uh, Jerry, give us a highlight, and we're going to ask the same thing you folks. Uh, a, a, a name, a situation, you know, we don't need a first and last name, but is there a person you're thinking of, hey, this person has been impacted already by Crossroad or, or by your ministry or something like that? Help, help us co- to connect with the story. So connect with the story. I'll share a story about Zach. Uh, Zach came to one of our murder mystery events, which we're not a big event-driven ministry, but we do a couple. Um, so our murder mystery where students shared their testimony and shared about what God's been doing in their life. And out of those 500 kids, one student that year said, I want to know what this relationship looks like with Christ. And it was Zach. And he didn't just raise his hand. He didn't, you know, tell somebody later. He stood up in the middle of everything. Wow. He was like, okay. <laughs> uh, so he started attending Crossroads Farm and, and starting to understand the Bible a little more and about who Jesus is. And it really started to change his life. And it not only changed his life, he took it home. 
Um, his mom started to come to church. His brother started to come to church. They came to know Christ. And so there's been more of an impact within his family. And now that he's graduated and around still, he's helping and participating as a volunteer and investing in other students' lives um, so that he can help them go through what he's gone through, too, in that transition. That's cool. Not just that he's come to Christ, right. but now he's helping other people. That's neat. That's neat to see that cycle. What about you guys? Um, I think of a student, well, a former student now um, named Kelsey. And when I met her, I had been praying with another student on campus that we would be able to um, reach into the sorority system on campus. Um, that this is not at UMaine because we've only been there a little bit. But, um, but yeah, we've been praying and walking around the sorority houses and praying, and I mean, for like a year. And um, Kelsey and a couple of her sorority sisters showed up at one of our weekly meetings, um, and they were in a sorority. So I met with them and talked with them about maybe starting a Bible study in their house. And they were excited enough that we did it. <laughs> um, but as I got to know Kelsey, she really was more like a God-friendly person. Like she liked the idea of spiritual things. Um, she was friendly to the idea of having a Bible study, but she wasn't a Christian. Um, and really just in the next couple of years, we really saw God transform her life. Like, just by coming to the Bible study and having these spiritual conversations, um, she put her faith in Christ. She had a really sketchy boyfriend relationship, and I didn't have to tell her that it was sketchy. Like, the Lord just convicted her, and she broke up with him. Um, she, you know, it's like she, she her, her whole trajectory for her life has dramatically changed because of encountering Christ in college. And now she's graduated, she's married, they have a little baby, um, but the man that she's married to loves the Lord, and like they cool. are involved in serving in their local church and sharing the gospel with people that they encounter. She's a nurse at the hospital, and you know, it's just amazing to see, like, if, if the Lord hadn't encountered her when he did, she, I'm, I feel very confident she would have married that other guy, um, and just kind of continued with the status quo of like, normal American life, um, and maybe never, you know, encountered Jesus um, without, like, some kind of crazy intervention. But but now it's like you look at her life, and it's, like, completely marked by Christ. Like, every area of her life is marked by the fact awesome. that she's a believer. Um, and that's really, I think, I mean, this is probably true for Jerry's ministry, too, but I think that's really true with young people is, like, we catch them at a, at a time where their entire life, like 50, 60, 70 years, are impacted yeah. by knowing Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Really, you think about it, probably our biggest life decisions are made in these late teen and college years. And how important it is for your ministries to be involved at that specific time of life. So um, enough of my questions. I'm just kind of curious what questions you have. And I'm not sure what we've gotten in by text message. We'll, we'll just read them up here. Um, this is a good question. How are schools, um, both grade schools and college, responding to your ministries? Uh, is there support? Is there hostility? What are you, what are you finding? Um, we'll start with Jerry. Sorry. Yeah. Um, schools have been really receptive. Uh, downstate in Hillsdale County, there are times that we have prayer events and go into schools and pray around the building. We pray through them. We... Uh, do see you at the poll and things like that. The schools have been very open. 
Um, I've only had one situation where a school said, nope, we're not opening the doors, and the students still walked around the school in the cold and prayed, and they were excited about what was going on. Um, schools in general have been really excited about Crossroads Farm being a part of the community. Um, it's been nice to share that with superintendents and principals, and they're like, oh, let me tell you how you can help here. Um, they have very clear ins to students' lives, will help and be very comfortable sharing about what's going on and people and helping in the community, and so they've been really positive about the ministry Good. being involved. Good. What are you guys finding? Uh, colleges, it runs the whole course from uh, the whole spectrum from one end to the other. Um, I think uh, there's some colleges that won't let us on, uh, the private universities. Thankfully, public universities, there's uh, legislation that keeps us there, although Recently in some states, there's been some legislation passed that means that crew can't meet on their campuses anymore because we're not able to sign a, a kind of permissive leadership agreement that says anybody could be a leader in our group, any student. And so mm. there's some campuses we can't even be on. But others are really grateful for us. Uh, UMaine right now, um, I just got done with a meeting yesterday with the, or two days ago with the head of the Multicultural Center. And he's really excited for crew to partner with him to serve the international students on campus with a Thanksgiving dinner. And so they're excited that we're there and that we're willing to help and create bridges uh, between, I guess you could say, like normal, traditional American students and these international students. And so it really varies. My favorite, I think this is the funniest, is at Syracuse University, they told us, yeah, you can be here, you can have groups, and you can talk to people on campus. You're just not allowed to tell anybody that you think that you know the truth. <laughs> I don't know. We just said we knew the truth, and they never kicked us off. I just so. think we didn't, we didn't use those exact words, right. you know, like, well, if you disagree, you're disagreeing with Jesus, not, right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, so, it varies. New York is different, isn't it? It oh, is. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Let's have a moment yeah. of silence for New York. Yeah. Yeah. What other um, questions do we have for text message? <clears throat> Jerry. What are some of the unique challenges the rural youth are facing today? Okay. Um, before when I shared, I shared some statistics here on the stage with, with you about rural communities and the challenges facing them and statistics of drug abuse and alcohol abuse and teen pregnancy and how rates are higher in rural communities for all of those things than in urban centers. Um, students in rural communities feel isolated, uh, very distant from other people. There is a lot higher drug use because of that distance. Not enough police force and stuff to take care of it, but there, it's all of this search to fill a void. Yeah. Um, so the picture I shared before and I was here, a picture of a rear view mirror that says objects are closer than they appear, mm -hmm. and it's a picture of hope in the mirror. It's true, hope is really close by, um, but we often, as Alex said earlier, um, this generation is getting caught up in there's a lack of hope. I have no hope for me. And so there's this big devastation. So the quick thing to turn in rural communities, too, is, is guns, because they're more prevalent in rural communities than urban. Again, another one of those weird things, but we all hunt. Um, anyway, and then the other, the other part is, is that, that piece of trying to find that void, and there's nothing to do. Uh, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, there's nowhere to go, there's nothing to do. And so that's one of the big problems they face, okay. is kind of this isolated, alone feeling. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Alex, challenges to college students today, for both of you. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think, I think there are a lot of them. Um, a couple that come to mind is in the first hour we talked about um, some of the hopelessness that college mm -hmm. students are facing, mostly through a lack of um, 
I mean, we talked some about the lack of connectedness, some about their really high hopes for life that aren't being met. And I think kind of the opposite of what you're saying, there's this sense on the college campus where students are feeling like this was supposed to be the greatest thing of my life, and it's not fulfilling me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I have everything to do, and it's not enough. And so yeah. I think that's true. When I think about a spiritual sense, uh, Tim Keller's church, Redeemer Presbyterian, did a survey probably a decade ago of millennials, and they found that the biggest barrier to the gospel wasn't necessarily people's intellectual rejection of the gospel or the fact that they felt like the church was hypocritical or anything like that. They found the biggest barrier was that these new generations really want to make decisions for themselves. So when the church steps in or when Jesus steps in or the Bible says what they should do or shouldn't do, what they should think, what they shouldn't think, that's kind of offensive to the sensibilities of this new generation. They want to make a decision for themselves. So I think that's a big challenge. Mm. Uh, it's very hard for them to come to any sort of good foundational decisions in their life mm-hmm. without walking through it very carefully in their own minds mm-hmm. and coming to that conclusion themselves. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Can I add? Do you have any? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think also there's, you know, like, there's, there is isolation. It's more like a social isolation in some ways with like lack of really deep, meaningful relationships. But there's also this bombardment that young people have, and maybe you experience this too, but it might be more a college issue um, with the internet and access to all kinds of, you know, sketchy stuff. I won't say specifics since there might be little kids here, but you, you all, I'm sure, are aware um, of online addictions to a lot of um, a lot of stuff, and that's really pervasive on the college campus. I think it used to be a smaller percentage and mostly guys that struggled with those things, and that's not true at all anymore. Um, I would say the vast majority of students um, have had some negative impact from that kind of stuff, um, which, you know, like really taints the way that your real relationships end up playing out. Right. Like, right. and I don't just mean romantic, but just in general. Um, I think also there's um, a, a very common thing that we experience with students at, in Maine, um, maybe a little less so at Syracuse, well actually significantly less so at Syracuse, because the students there, I don't know if they're just wealthy or they don't understand math, but, um, <laughs> but in Maine, <laughs> um, the students feel like this oh, overwhelming yeah. burden because they've heard about generations that are older than them who have like astronomical student debt Um, from college, and so a lot of students feel like they need to have many jobs while they're students so that they don't go into debt, um, which is an overwhelming burden for them. Um, And I think for Christian students, it's it's particularly challenging because it comes up against, like, what is the most important thing in my life? Um, Is it having enough money or is it pursuing Jesus? Because I think sometimes it actually really gets in the way of them walking with the Lord because like, they're not even getting enough sleep at night because they're working all these jobs while they're being students. Um, so I think that's a unique challenge that a lot of students have is like financing college and feeling the pressure of that. I, I think we get time for maybe just one more thing after I, after I do a follow-up, and that is social media. Oh, yeah. Okay, how, how does that change things for you? How do you utilize it and what, what damage, I mean, significant damage you see from it in, in your ministries? Um, <laughs> That's me. Hey, can we just, can we just say, um, 
it's one thing to be a parent. It's another thing to have your child be a parent in front of 500 people. <laughs> yeah. But isn't she a great baby? She is great. And Katie, you're doing a great job. Okay. You really are. <clears throat> well, she hasn't fallen off the stage, so we're, we're winning right now. <laughs> that is so cool. Talk to us about social media. The impact. Here, you hold her. There we go. I'm going to talk about social media. The impact of that. Just don't let her get your cord. Um, yeah, I think that social media... I kind of said, we said this this morning too, but it, it definitely, it has really shaped young people today because most of their lives, they've been involved with social media. I know people who, when they had a baby, they opened up a Facebook account for their baby and would post funny things or whatever. And that was like 13 years ago, you know? So that kid is a, a person now um, who like <laughs> can see and interact with that Facebook and be like, oh, I drooled on something and you posted it. That's weird. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, like their, their whole perspective of the world has been shaped by what they see on social media, um, you know, very filtered version of the world. Um, and then they present their own filtered version of the world back, um, so that they look like they've got it all together when they are like the rest of us and don't. Um, and like, yeah, when we were at Syracuse, I remember hearing there, one of our friends had been hanging out with some students, and she's like, I saw the student literally, like, anxious, debating, like, wrestling for, like, 45 minutes on how to filter a photo correctly to post on her social media account. <laughs> and it's like, are you serious? I spent, like, two minutes. You know, like, and that's because I don't really know how to use it right. You know, but... <laughs> You're filtering for 45 minutes every photo you send? Like, what kind of overwhelming, like, anxiety must that be causing for students if they feel like that? I don't know. It's, like, such an overwhelming burden to, like, present yourself just right. Um, so I think there's that. There's also, like, dating and relationships is all done on social media now. Um, I mean, having been a college student and having worked with college students for a lot of years, you know, there's a hookup culture, that's a thing. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like that that has been happening on college campuses for a very, very long time. It's not new. But I think the casualness of it is newer now right. um, because it's so accessible. On your phone, you just swipe a certain way and then, like, you have this person who's waiting to meet you and whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, um, whereas, you know, even when we were students, if you wanted to meet someone in real life, you had to meet them in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's really shaped the way that young people's social interaction, like they haven't learned how to do conflict the same way as us old folks, where we had to do it in real life when we were teenagers and learn how to build healthy relationships with our peers. They've been doing it like with, you know, angsty teenage posts on their social media on Facebook, t you know, 10 years ago. And it's funny because you can go back on their Facebook and see those things and laugh at them. But, um, but it's like if that's how you learn to interact with other people, no wonder you don't have good deep relationships. You right. had no idea. Like you just never learned how to do that. And that's not their fault. You know, that's really more the, the reality of the world when they were becoming adults. Mm. You know, it's mm -hmm. not, I, I don't think it's their fault. But they're at a disadvantage coming in. So like they need help to learn how to do those things. Yeah. The teenagers that we work with, uh, social media is their way to interact with their friends. Um, 
And it's, it's kind of a, a two-sided thing. Some students have no friends at school, only on their computer or on their phone. Mm. And so that interaction is all they have, and they feel like this relationship is everything. And I text them every five seconds or send them a message, and that is their life. Uh, they don't look up from the screen very often and communicate. Uh, there was a, a session I went into in a youth workers conference before, and it was about the interactions we have with this generation that's very screen sensitive. Um, and spending time getting to know people around us is hard for them because they're like, oh, no, I, I got to say something instead of type it. That's weird. Uh, but a lot of the problems they have, too, is they, uh, the students that I work with have trouble controlling their anger. And it's so fast to just go and bite at somebody and, and do it on social media and yet it's something they wouldn't do in person. Yeah. And so there's lots of things that act themselves out in social media that are, that are difficult. Yeah. Um, but it's also a good way for them to connect with people that they're far away from. And okay. when you're at a farm property and not around people, um, that's a, a clear connection to make is through that. Yeah. So. A 20-second answer for each. Last one. Okay. Here. What's the biggest roadblock or current closed door that's between you and God's vision for the ministry? And then this will also be our prayer item. Is there a roadblock right now that's there for either of you? And then it's something we'll pray about. And then Jerry's going to speak to us these last 15 minutes. All right. Uh, what is it? Biggest roadblock would just be people to partner with the ministry. Um, there are lots of kids desiring to have a relationship with God. And God wants to make himself known to them. Uh, but we need to help and give them opportunities to respond to that message. So the biggest roadblock is people. Okay. Help in that respect. People helping. You need financial. Financial. You need some prayer support. You need some volunteer. Support. I know some of our crew was out there yep. last night working with you guys. So, okay, that's, uh, what about you guys? Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. Um, particularly, we just need more people volunteering on campus, more people building relationships with college students more people spending time crossing that cultural border, that boundary, stepping onto the college campus and being a part of what we're doing. It's a lot of work for very few people right now. Okay. Yeah. Harvest is uh, great. Flavors mm -hmm. are few. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, let's, let's pray for a moment. Let's come on around the table, you guys. And um, can we all just bow our heads and ask for God's blessing and encouragement in the ministry with these folks? And Lord, that is our prayer right now. I pray uh, in the name of Jesus that you would help grow these efforts in the lives of the next generation. I do uh, pray for Jerry and Andrea and um, their local ministry to the regions of northern Michigan and trying to help areas that don't have youth ministries or focus on teens and uh, they have asked, and so we ask right now um, for partners for them, for financial partners, for volunteer partners, um, for help with building and construction and cleaning and remodeling, and also um, just help with mentors in the lives of kids. But I pray, Lord, that whatever may be there that needs to be built up for them to have significant impact in the lives of of these teens in northern Michigan, God, I pray that you would supply exactly what they need and help there to be creativity and passion and um, enthusiasm. And God, would you bring in 
teens that, that there could be significant impact. May we see something special across this region for Jesus. And then we pray for Alex and Katie, and, and God, we ask that you would give them very special ministry with college students. And I know, Lord, um, where they are in Maine is not necessarily the easiest venue, and I pray that you would give them teammates and volunteers who would be willing to step into college campus where it can be intimidating. And these young people that um, need truth and need direction and need relationship and connection, they need Jesus. I pray that, Lord, you would work in their ministry to substantially impact your kingdom um, for the future. God, your blessing on these folks Continue to grow their ministry for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Blessings. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, bro. It's all yours. So I, I would love to share a message with you today about the Messiah and who is the Messiah. And our main text today is in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And to start this off, though, I want to share a passion of mine. Uh, maybe some of you have a similar passion. Uh, superheroes. Anybody like superheroes? Yes, okay, a few of you are willing to be like, I like them. Uh, yes, I love looking at comic books. I love watching cartoons of Superman and different things like that. And, and I always loved those plots. Most of them revolve around the villain trying to discover the identity of a hero and using that information to threaten the hero's family or friends. And it's that tension that makes the show so captivating for me. You know, if the friends found out who that hero really was, it was sure to change their relationship. It was sure to put them at risk. Um, Jesus, don't take the comparison too far, but Jesus came to earth, but what was his disguise? What was his disguise? People didn't recognize this Messiah. People didn't recognize God as a man. He made the lame walk, he made the blind see, he made demons flee, he made dead people live again. He turned water into wine, but he looks human. He never sins, he teaches, he represents God perfectly, but how is he unmasked to allow people to see him for who he truly is? I'm not saying Jesus was some kind of fictitious superhero like Superman or the Flash, sorry if you thought those were real um, individuals, but, um, but I hope that you can connect with the similarities in this comparison of a hidden identity. Jesus' true identity was and is hidden. Knowing the truth about his identity should change you, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, this is when Jesus was talking to his disciples. And starting verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So Jesus was with his disciples, and he asked them, Who do people say I am? You know, I'm, I'm not sure where they got these ideas of John the Baptist, because he was around when Jesus was alive, but yeah, anyway. Um, I'm not sure where they got that, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, but those views aren't too different from the views that commonly are held today. People still say that Jesus was a good man, 
was a prophet, a philosopher. Some say just an ordinary man, a sinner like everyone else. It's quite an array of things that don't really mesh with what he said about himself or what's written about him. Some things are going to be up on the screen. These are things that he said about himself or have been written about him. That he's the giver of eternal life. He's one with the Father. That he forgives sins. He's the bread of life, the way, the truth, the life, the great I am, the light of the world, the Savior, the healer, the Messiah. Jesus didn't stop with his disciples and just say, who do people say that I am? Instead, he does what he does best and goes right to the heart of the issue. And he looked at them in verse 15 and he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Um, in Katie's Bible, or the Southern Bible, it would have said, who do y'all say I am? Uh, he was talking to all of his disciples and saying, who do you, y'all, say I am? Not everybody else. I want to know about you. And that's the question. That's the big question. It's a question that he was asking to say, it's not what does man say about me or what have you learned, but what does your heart say? Jesus had a thing for getting to the heart of the issue with people, like the woman at the well or the Pharisees. He didn't beat around the bush very much. He had no, this was no different. He wanted to know what they really thought. Who do you say I am? And Peter, being the outspoken one of the group, responded, it says in verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Wow, what a confession. What a belief in Jesus and who he is. And I hope you notice that Peter knows Jesus' true identity. Knows his true identity. But what led Peter to make such a statement? It's what always intrigues me is what's the backstory? What happened? Um, in John 141, it talks about Andrew, Peter's brother, um, coming and sharing with Peter about Jesus. And if we look at John 141, it says, The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. We have found the Messiah. Apparently, Andrew already figured it out. And being Jewish men, Andrew and Peter knew the scriptures, and they knew about the prophecies of the Messiah. However, these men, just like other Jews, had misconceptions about what the Messiah would be doing. Peter, like the others, is probably picturing a warrior hero, someone who drives out his enemies, and conquers every nation and spreads a Jewish empire. Jews are still looking for that leader, a descendant of David who will bring the whole world into worship of God. But what has Peter seen other than his brother's statement of Jesus being the Messiah? Well, his mother-in-law was healed. His mother-in-law was sick and Jesus healed her. He was fishing one day and caught nothing. He's a fisherman. He fished, caught nothing. And Jesus said, just throw your net on this side of the boat. And they caught in more fish than they had in a long time. This huge catch. And I'm sure at that point he's like, I'm the fisherman, not you. But okay, cast it in. That was a huge miracle that he saw. He also saw a dead girl come back to life that Jesus raised from the dead. And something else that was mentioned earlier today, he got out of a boat. He walked on water toward Jesus. Peter also knew Jesus' heritage. He could have talked with Mary. He knew John the Baptist, and John the Baptist said, this is the Messiah. 
He saw miracles. And like his brother, he could have seen so many prophecies of the Messiah played out in the life of Jesus and come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. But if you look at Peter's answer when he said that, he said in, back in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter not only stated that Jesus was the Messiah, but he also shared about the belief in Jesus' deity. In Jesus' deity. In verse 17, Christ responds. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Here's the core of the Christian faith, the main foundation of the church, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But where does this unmasking take place? How is his true identity revealed to us? I want to look at that word revealed in this passage. To reveal something means to make something known that isn't. To show something that's not been seen. And we talk about two types of revelation. We talk about special revelation and general revelation. I'll touch base on those just shortly. But general revelation is something that we are to be without excuse from nature that God exists. That's a general revelation. We should be able to see that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from the, what has been made that people are without excuse. There's another type of revelation in sharing God, and that's a special revelation. And that refers to God revealing something directly to an individual or a group. He's used angels, he's used dreams, he's used miracles, he's used scripture. But things that reveal him to people. When Jesus spoke to Peter in verse 17, he said that the Father revealed this information to him. It's clear, it's clear to, and point to understand that Jesus here is he's moving from a knowledge of what people have said about him to what the Father has revealed to these men about himself. It's through this revelation and knowledge that Jesus goes from being just a man um, to being the son, of man, the son of God. It's a spot where we start to see him what we've understood about him from things around us to what God's revealed about him. The belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, changes everything. It changes your life here on earth, and it changes your life after this one. When you know his true identity, it changes your relationship with him. Just like the relationships that the family have with the superhero or the friends have with them, change. We all need to ask this question, who is Jesus? And it's not just a question we're supposed to ask once in our life. It is a question that I ask a lot of teenagers, who is Jesus? I want to share him with you, but I want to ask who do you think he is? It's a question that we need to answer once, but we also need to keep answering. We need to keep answering. Christian's maturity has nothing to do with how long you've believed that he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But it has to do with how often you keep asking, who is Jesus? I need to know more. 
Who is he? Reveal more of his identity to me. Have you been asking this question? Or did you stop with one time? Once you understand his true identity, you'll start to understand your true identity as well. Your relationship isn't the only thing that changes. You change. Alex and I talked a little bit about change that we see in students' lives. Change that's lasting. There's huge change when people come to know Christ. Uh, we shared about a gentleman named Travis, correct, um, this morning in our ABF class time. And to see a change in someone's life so drastically from quiet and shy and timid and removed to being excited and sharing their faith and wanting to go to places nobody wants you to go, but you have a burden for. That's a huge change. In this passage, we see something change as well. Simon's name had a change. I hope some of you recognize that. I'm not talking about two people, Simon and Peter. They're the same guy. Um, verse 18, if we look in verse 18 of the passage, it says, And I tell you, you are Peter. This is Jesus responding again. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There's a lot of debate about what this passage means. But the name Peter does mean rock. Was Jesus saying that the church would be built on Peter? Was Jesus saying that the church, that was he pounding on his chest and saying, on this rock I will build my church? Was he talking about the profession of faith in him as the rock of which the church is built on? questions I have. Uh, questions I like to go to the guy who Jesus was speaking to. So if you look in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 Peter shares a little bit about what that might mean. He says as you come to him the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you sense an identity change in what Peter's talking about? A relationship change. It changes once we, once we understand Christ's true identity. Are you being built into a spiritual house? Are you being built into a spiritual house? Are you a living stone? Have you become a rock? Are you continuing to change? Asking that question all the time, who is Jesus? When I think of this question, I think of those kids and students that I'm discipling and, and working with and helping them grow in their faith. And if I ask them who Jesus is and they come up with some really weird statements about who Jesus is and things that don't jive with Scripture. I'm like, where did you get that? Where does that come from? But often it makes me think of who is the Jesus that I'm representing to them. If the only Jesus they know is who I've shared with them, have I given them a good view of who Jesus is? I'm asking you to consider that same question. Who is Jesus? You might remember some movies. Uh, 
There's been some movies where people talk about Jesus. Yeah, I like the, I like the party Jesus. I like the little buddy Jesus. I like the friend Jesus. Um, the conquering Christ, I, I don't know how I feel about that one. The loving Jesus, that's okay. But there's often statements in our society that people go, oh, this piece of him's fine. I, I like that one. Um, but they're not willing to continue to ask for the more and to be revealed the more. And so I hope today as you leave this place, you ask that question again of yourself. Who is Jesus? Ask God, the Father, to reveal to you more of his Son and more of himself. As you think about Alex and I and our ministries and working with college students and high school students and middle school students, I want you to be praying for them that they have the opportunity to say, answer this question, who is Jesus? And not just to be asked that in an isolated setting, but within the ministries we're working with and sharing with them and asking them and sharing Christ with them and sharing from the Bible, sharing our testimonies, having them listen to their peers, be able to understand and answer this question for themselves of who is Jesus. I hope that you continue to pray for them that they say yes to that message that their lives are changed. And as you pray for them and for their lives to be changed, I hope that you're continuing to pray for you as well, that God would reveal more of Jesus to you. Let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you for opportunity to share a little bit of a passage of you talking with your disciples and asking them all who they think you are. Thank you for their example of, of seeing him and watching him and having some of that revelation as well, but special revelation from you and understanding who Jesus is. I pray that you would share with many, many people around us, people that we're interacting with, who he really is. And I pray that we continue to ask that question ourselves of who is Jesus and that we consciously make an effort every day to develop more and more and to change our identities as we understand who Jesus is. God, help us to develop into like images of you. In Jesus' name, amen.